0: We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations.
1: You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Boomer moves. So I thought my mic was muted. Was it muted beforehand? I was playing on my computer. I couldn't hear you. I mean, I wasn't playing. I was looking up something for ERLC, but <laughs> and then I thought I unmuted it. Okay, anyway. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and joining me this week is my colleague in DC, Hannah Daniel, with her walking shoes on, because you said <laughs> you're wearing a dress today and you didn't change into your heels which is what people wear, well, girls wear in D.C., you're wearing your your tennis shoes.
0: <laughs> hey, Lindsay, it's good
1: to be with you.
0: Yes, you can always count on me to be wearing my comfy shoes, walking to the office with my business clothes, and today I just I just never changed all of them. So we're, we're still rocking those.
1: Well, the thing is, I was telling you when we were talking about it that you're with the trend, but because it's a thing to wear tennis shoes or sneakers or whatever you call them with dresses, but when I was maybe your age or even in high school, that was just not a cool thing to do. Grandmas did that at the mall when they were walking.
0: Well, I feel like I feel like the trend right now is like wearing cute sneakers with your dress. And I think it should be like publicly known that like I'm wearing my like very comfy like Asics walking shoes with my dress right now. So I think it may still be in the non-trendy
1: grandma category, but I'll take it. Coastal grandma. Are you the coastal grandma? I do love me some coastal grandmother. We're losing people when we're talking about fashion (laughs) trends. The good news (laughs) about getting older and being in midlife is that you care less about these crazy fashion trends and you look and you're like you are going to laugh at yourself. I'm not saying you. I'm thinking of some other fashion trends, Anna. You're very (laughs) fashionable. You're going to laugh at yourself when you look at pictures, just like I laugh at myself in giant glasses because I wore those before they were even cool when I was little. (laughs) So anyway, but before I digress and keep talking about fashion, let's go ahead and talk about what is coming up at the Supreme Court. So we're looking forward to rulings that we're expecting to come down, opinions this summer. And as you pointed out, we've already had uh, opinions coming out, but they're just not ones that we have been watching as closely because they don't pertain to our issues or they're not ones that we have signed onto briefs for. So why don't you give us a little quick look ahead at SCOTUS for dummies? And I'm just a dummy, not everyone else listening.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So um, we are kind of at the beginning of, as you described, this period of time where the Supreme Court releases opinions for arguments that they heard um, last fall and at the beginning of this year. And so they actually still have a few more arguments to hear um, into April. And then um, they will continue releasing opinions until they've they've all been released. Normally that ends right around the end of June. Um, and so generally some of the opinions that are Um, unanimous or a little less controversial, those tend to be some of the first that come out. So we've already had a few of those trickle out. Um, And then generally the more controversial cases or ones that have a lot of attention on them, those tend to be released later, um, normally towards the end of June. And generally those tend to be the cases that we are watching a little more closely and are more interested in. So definitely is an exciting time as we await to see Um, what the Supreme Court will do. They've they've considered a lot of big cases this term, um, wide range of issues, everything from affirmative action to technology to religious liberty to race and all kinds of different things. So it's a big term and we are anxiously awaiting what they're gonna release in the coming months.
1: So what are some of the decisions that we are more waiting on pins and needles for?
0: Yeah, so there really are two major uh, decisions that we're going to be watching for this term. Um, One of those is 303 Creative versus Elenis, which we've talked about on the podcast before. This was argued back in December, and this case really is about a woman. um, Her name is Lori Smith, and she is a creative professional who serves anyone through her business. She's created all kinds of custom websites for everyone, but she refuses to use her skills to design a wedding website for a same-sex couple, as she believes that that violates her religious convictions. And Lori is based in Colorado, which, as you may remember, is where the um, Jack Phillips cake baking fiasco all has happened And uh, Lori Smith is being targeted under the same law, which is Colorado's Anti-Discrimination Act, which prohibits discrimination, which includes refusal of service against any protected class, including sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, And so this really has put Lori Smith at odds with the state of Colorado. And so this case has actually made it all the way up to the Supreme Court, um, really centered around this question of what is speech? Is creating a website speech? Is baking a cake speech? What is speech? And um, then can the government compel someone to speak or compel them to remain silent? And so this uh, case really is more about free speech than religious liberty, but it certainly will have really important implications for religious liberty.
1: One of the interesting facts from your own explainer, Hannah, that you put together for us on our site, which we will link to in the show notes is that Lori Smith has been in the process of challenging this law since 2016? So you think about the time that it's taken and the the cost of that, and the even just the emotional toll, you know, of battling against the state of Colorado for her livelihood. And uh, you said at the end, of course, you pointed out that this is really a, a free speech case, but it will have implications for religious liberty. And you said at the end of the article, it is essential that people of faith not only have the ability to believe these fundamental truths, but also to live them out in the public square. No one should be forced to sacrifice their most deeply held beliefs to participate in the marketplace and contribute to our society. And as you were talking about Lori being in the same place as Jack Phillips in Colorado and how long she's been working at this, and Jack Phillips even has had updates recently and how hard he has been working at defending his Religious liberty rights, it disheartens me because we need people of faith to be involved in the marketplace and to contribute to society. And if people are afraid to do that and withdraw from the marketplace or move somewhere else, then you lose the influence of Christians and other people of faith in a free society. And that doesn't contribute to a healthy public square. Uh, and so it makes me think about the implications of the marketplace there, specifically in Colorado, like you have pointed out at the end of this article.
0: Yeah, and you're you're exactly right when you point to how long this litigation often is drawn out. I think we definitely, as Christians, should be encouraged by the track record that religious liberty has had in the courts um, over the past several years. I mean, just last year, we had four really significant wins for religious liberty at the Supreme Court. But I think when we think about that and talk about that, what can often get lost is what you're talking about, the expense, the time, the energy, the emotional toll that this litigation can take on the people that are directly involved. And, you know, when we think about small Christian organizations or schools or churches, These are organizations that often don't have the resources to be able to go through extensive, lengthy, expensive litigation. And so what's important is not just that religious liberty is ultimately protected, but that we create a society and a culture that is not so quick to go to the courts and these kinds of things where we are respecting religious liberty rights and not forcing these organizations and religious groups to go through litigation in the first place to be able to fully access and use the rights that they already have.
1: Yeah, you're a 100 dollar word of the day not being such a litigious society. When it comes to these matters we're so quick to go to the courts, but you're right and being encouraged at the recent rulings about religious liberty and there have been so many positive developments that we have highlighted and worked toward at the ERLC. But this one will definitely be interesting to see how they rule.
0: Yeah, and I think we are—we are definitely. I won't uh, make any bets about about how the court's going to rule. But I think generally we are anticipating a favorable ruling here, um, likely to come towards the end of June. But it'll be really interesting to see how narrow of a ruling the court wants to provide. Whether they want to rule just on this one particular case and say. Yes, we think um, creating a website, that is speech, but not really go beyond that. Or are they going to kind of lay out doctrine that says, this is what speech is, this is what speech is not, that then could be applied more broadly. So it'll be really interesting to see how they rule there. The second case that we are um, really going to be watching this year is one that actually has not even been argued yet. So it's going to be one of the last ones to be argued this term, and it's called Groth v. joy. It's going to be argued on April 18th, so just in a couple of weeks, and then it will also have a decision pretty soon, um, likely in June. The background of this case is Gerald Groff um, began working as a postal service carrier in 2012, and as a Christian, uh, he's compelled by his religious beliefs to observe the Sunday Sabbath. And after, you would think, you know, as as a postal worker, that wouldn't be a problem, But the uh, Postal Service has begun uh, delivering packages on Sunday for Amazon, and Groff offered to take extra shifts um, on weekdays and holidays to avoid working on the Sabbath, and the Postal Service initially was granting him this accommodation, but then changed its mind and began scheduling him for Sunday work. So he refused to violate his faith, and he eventually faced termination until he ultimately resigned in 2019. Um, and the, the big question here goes back to a 1977 Supreme Court decision in a case called Transworld Airlines versus Hardison. Um, and what this case did was really limit and distort the requirements of employers to reasonably accommodate their employees' religious beliefs and practices. So what that case did was it allowed employers to only have to prove what's called a minimal burden to deny accommodations. And so if they can just show Um, that it's only a a small burden to them to accommodate the religious employee, they don't have to do that. The minimal burden standard was originally built on the lemon test, which was actually overturned last year in the Coach Kennedy case, which was one that we talked quite a bit about last summer. Um, That was where the coach was fired for Praying on the 50-yard line following football games. And so we're hoping that in light of uh, the lemon test being overturned in the Kennedy case, um, that maybe the court will then kind of raise that standard for what an employer has to prove to be able to deny an accommodation to a religious employee. And the ERLC actually filed an amicus brief alongside several other religious organizations in this to Joy case. And our brief argues that Hardison should be overturned and that employers must meet a higher burden before they're able to deny accommodations to their employees. Um, so this is another one that we're going to be watching closely and that we are hopeful for a positive ruling from the court.
1: So Hannah, you'll have to help me out on this case because it does confuse me a little bit as I'm just thinking through implications of other jobs. So like if I was a doctor... As a Christian, would it be reasonable that I expected to have a Sunday off or something? So are there limits to reasonable expectations of accommodation? Or should I just be given any accommodation accommodation because it is within my deeply held religious beliefs?
0: Yeah, that is a good question. And that's often where this issue gets really tricky is because— you know, as Christians and as, you know, people of of other religions who would be protected by this too. You know, we are are involved in all parts of our society, working all kinds of jobs, and every job has unique challenges and every person of faith has (laughs) unique needs according to their religious beliefs. And so this makes it really difficult. And I think what's important to about is that this case is not saying, it's not laying out, here's all of the accommodations that have to be met and really going into detail on what that is. All this case is about really is raising the standard of the extent to which employers have to try to make those accommodations. Right now, they if they can show any harm at all by granting you that accommodation, they don't have to do it, even if it would be pretty simple for them to do. Um, And so all that this case is asking for is to raise that standard, make them try a little harder to make those accommodations. Um, But it certainly is not about just granting any accommodation for anyone ever, um, because that would be not something that's really tenable or feasible for much of our society for many of the jobs that we operate in. And I think it's important on this point of religious accommodation to, I think, Oftentimes non-Christians or watching world may think, oh, this is just, this is Christians trying to, you know, have Sundays off like it is in this case always, or it's Christians that just want an easier time at work or whatever it may be. But I think it's important to know that accommodations and, and these kinds of protections are often most important for people of minority religions whose accommodations that they need may be a little more unusual or not as easily accepted as something maybe um, a Christian might ask for or something like that. So I think it's important to remember, just as it is in any religious liberty case, that the protections that we are hoping to gain and are hoping to protect are not just for Christians, but for people
1: of, of all faiths. And Hannah, as you said there at the end that we're seeking these out for Christians and we're seeking these religious liberty protections For people of all faiths. And I just wanted to point out that is not something that we should be afraid of. Instead, it's something we should celebrate. Because if there's a limitation on one faith and injustice or religious liberties violated in one place, it's going to have eventually, it might have a trickle down effect
0: yeah you are you're exactly right, and it even is a a fundamental Baptist principle that we support religious liberty for all people, and we recognize that our own religious liberty is strengthened by protecting the rights of others as well. So I think this is is certainly one that we want to keep an eye on this summer.
1: yeah, and I'll just go one step further to say that fundamental Baptist belief of religious liberty for all people, that's because we believe that faith in Christ cannot be coerced. The state can, you know, we can have a theonomy or where we command people to bow to Christ, but that is probably not going to be a coerced faith and not a genuine saving faith. And when religious liberty flourishes, that means that as believers, we can flourish in the city where the Lord has placed us, the community where the Lord has placed us, we can be free to share the good news of Christ and people can be free as the Spirit draws them to come to Christ. And that's ultimately our hope. And
0: then finally, there are just a handful of other cases that we are not watching quite as closely, but do touch on issues that Southern Baptists care about and that certainly will have uh, big implications for our uh, society. So, We have some cases dealing with immigration policy, such as Arizona v. Mayorkas, um, United States v. Hansen, and C.C. Texas. There's several that touch on immigration issues. There are um, some that deal with technology, privacy, speech regulation. That our colleague Jason Thacker has done such great work on. These cases involve Google, Twitter. um, So that'll be a a definitely a, a big case to be watching. Um, there's one dealing with adoption and specifically the Indian Child Welfare Act, which uh, regulates how Native American children can be placed for adoption. There is one called Morvy Harper, which has to do with um, kind of how um, certain elections are run. There and then finally, possibly maybe the the biggest case this term, just from a, a big picture perspective, would be the Students for Fair Admission versus Harvard. And then also Students for Fair Admission versus um, University of North Carolina, which deals with affirmative action and race. And so these are are ones that we have not engaged in necessarily, um, but certainly will be watching because they do intersect with issues that Southern Baptists have said that they care about, such as race, immigration, technology, adoption, all of those kinds of issues. So we have lots to keep our our eyes on this summer as the Supreme Court begins delivering opinions. um, And we'll be watching those and keeping all of you updated with resources to be able to think about what these decisions mean for you, what they mean for us as Christians, why they matter. So we have a a busy few months ahead of us.
1: Well, Hannah, thank you so much for that look ahead. It's helpful, especially for people like me, who is not a SCOTUS nerd. I've Mm -hmm. never known so many people who are energized by watching the goings-on at the Supreme Court and um, Supreme Court's Twitter and all that jazz that happens in the summer when opinions are released. Never known those people until I started working at the ERLC. (laughs) I'm glad you're one of those people and keep (laughs) us updated. And this discussion just reminds me how, as the ERLC, we are representing Southern Baptists in the public square, and we are advocating for issues that the messengers have tasked us with and assigned to us. And it's important that we do that. We will continue to do that. And it is our privilege to do that. And Hannah, as we close out, I just want to have a little bit of levity here. When we recorded before, our audio engineer reminded me that we t- were talking about the NCAA tournament, March Madness, because it was just beginning. And so now it's over. And UConn won. They played against uh, San Diego State, I believe. And I just want to know, Hannah, did your bracket even survive?
0: No, it was terrible. I think... By the time we got to the Elite Eight, I don't think I even had a single team left in it. So it was a wild tournament this year. I mean, there's always upsets, but I feel like this year especially was just really crazy. I think by the time we got to the Final Four, nobody from our entire team in our like bracket challenge or whatever you call that. I don't think anybody had a team left by the time we got to the final four. So it was a tough time for all of us. But our colleague Amanda was the final winner. So congratulations to Amanda.
1: <laughs> yes, congratulations, Amanda. There probably was no rhyme or reason to who she chose. I can't remember what she said. <laughs> yeah, mine uh, my bracket died a uh, quick death when Kansas went down. And uh, like you said, when you're not in it anymore, you just don't pay it as much attention. Also, I have little kids, so then I really don't pay much attention. We're watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse at home instead. I did see the shot that the guy from San Diego State made to get them into the championship game. I think his last name was Butler. And so that was pretty special. And those are always fun moments, especially when they're heartwarming, because I think his sister had actually been murdered recently. Uh, he shared, and then it was the first time in history that no number one seed was in, I think, believe it was Final Four. So that that's pretty fun, too. You, uh, I love those underdog stories. And also, anytime Alabama goes down, I'm kind of right, Lindsay. <laughs> anytime <laughs> Alabama goes down, I'm kind of happy. They need to be humbled. Our friend Eric Mayo, hope you're listening to this. Anyway, so that's it for basketball season. And now it's time for, I don't know what comes next. Baseball, I but baseball. I don't watch. Didn't baseball start this week? Yes. I don't watch baseball though, which Brent would be just horrified.
0: I know. I I don't really either. But uh, one of my favorite parts about living in D.C. is that we have the Washington Nationals, who are almost always very bad which isn't great, but it does make it really like easy and cheap to go to games. And so often my friends and I will get like $5 tickets and go and watch games at Nats Park, which is very fun. It always just feels like kind of spring and summer to me is like going and watching a game. And anyways, so I am excited that that's back.
1: Yeah, I agree. It is... It's an iconic spring day when you can do that. And I really go for the, I get a Coke and I get some kind of a concession snack that costs, Mm -hmm. you know, $20 for a pretzel or whatever, but still I'm going to pay it because that's just part of the whole experience. So, well, congratulations, Amanda. And there's always next year for the rest of us. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production is provided by Owens Productions. It is edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week with more content.